And I realized, yeah, you know, most of us don't change until we have to. Like, usually something has to push us, even if it's just you know, you see yourself in the mirror and you're disgusted at what you see. And that's the, uh, <laughs> that's the, the push that it took. But, um, you know, most of us, we need some kind of push. I mean, don't we all have friends who stayed in a job way too long and really should have quit, but they never did. And then one day they were finally fired and they went, yeah, I, I probably should have quit years ago. Now, now it's time for me to make the change. But yeah, most people don't. Hey, this is your host, Debbie. Welcome to Gap Year for Grownups, a podcast for those who believe you can take a time out to reinvent your life, especially at 50 plus when you're figuring out what comes next. Today, I talk with Derek Sivers. I've been following Derek's work for close to a decade. He's something of an online legend, and I was thrilled when he agreed to join me for a conversation. We focus on one of his current obsessions, slow thinking and slow living. But we also talk about much more. According to his About page, Derek has been a musician, a producer, a circus performer, an entrepreneur, a TED speaker, and a book publisher. You might know him for, as he puts it, accidentally creating CD Baby an online CD store for 150,000 independent musicians. It started as his own project, not a company per se, so he could sell CDs of his own music. He sold CD Baby in 2008 for $22 million, with the money going into a charitable trust he set up for music education. He moved to New York, to Singapore, and then to New Zealand where he became a mostly full-time dad and took a sabbatical for about four years. Then a year ago, he moved to England. In the decade plus since he sold his company, Derek has, in his words, optimized his life for learning and creating. And we talk about what that means. He focuses on writing and on thinking differently, and importantly, on one thing at a time. He's developed a philosophy of life and a way of living that is based on minimalism, being very deliberate, saying no to almost everything, working on a seven-year-old clunky laptop, spending a lot of time alone, but also spending long stretches with his now eight-year-old son. His website, sivers.org, is minimalist, not one extra line of code, but it's a treasure trove of content. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes There are hundreds of articles he's written, maybe it's thousands, his reviews of over 250 books, FAQs, yes, he gets lots of questions about his lifestyle, his podcast, the audio version of his blog, and more. We talk about the task he set himself of answering 6,800 emails recently. He got those in response to a very short email he sent out to the 50,000 people on his email list. The subject line was so simple, but it was relevant. It said, Debbie, are you okay? And then in the body of the message, he wrote, I care and I'm really asking. So I wrote back and invited him to come on the show. Oh, and he invites anyone listening to this episode to please get in touch. Send him a message. He loves connecting with people. Go to sivers.org forward slash contact. 
This conversation was recorded on March 25th, 2020. In the past few weeks, we've all been forced to change, to adapt, to reinvent, as the coronavirus pandemic sweeps the world. In this episode, Derek shares with us how to cultivate slow thinking in a fast-paced and uncertain world, what slow thinking means, how he handles the onslaught of news, and the importance of asking yourself, why do you do what you do? Derek is a breath of fresh air right now. He's no bullshit. He's wise. He's eloquent. And I love his very clear diction. I wish we'd continued for another half hour. As soon as I stopped the recording, he said, Oh, I thought we were going to talk for another 30 minutes. Well, that was my mistake. It's my pleasure to share this conversation with you. Let's jump right in. Derek, welcome to the show. Thanks, Debbie. I have so many questions. Uh, I'm going to start with one that I hope will just plunge us right into the middle of what we're really going to talk about. And that is um, you've optimized your life for creating and learning. I got that off your website. <laughs> what, what does that look like? Take us inside your daily life, which is now in Oxford, Oxford, England. You moved there about a year ago. Yeah. When you left New Zealand. Take us into a day of creating and learning in Oxford. Sure. Well, first I'll give a little bit of context to that. It was actually a career coach type dude, like about 15 years ago when I was still running CD Baby. Um, I felt like I needed a little extra help just achieving what I was trying to achieve in life. And so I actually called Tony Robbins company because I said, I know you've got coaches there. So they assigned me a coach and this guy named Jared Rose was just great. He and I would talk every week. And so one day he asked me that question. He said, what is your ultimate value? I said, I don't know. (laughs) So he kept, he asked me these questions that like kept drilling down. He said, what's important to you? And I would say something. He said, okay, why is, why is that important to you? What's the ultimate point of that? And then he just kept going. Everything I would say, he said, he would say, and why that? Or what's the point of that? What's the ultimate outcome of that? Until it finally got down to the final two that we're learning and creating. And he said, okay, so which one is more important to you ultimately, learning or creating? And I said, well, <laughs> both. And he said, no, you, one of them ultimately is going to be more important. And I said, Mm, no. He said, Derek, come on. You, you've got to know what your ultimate value is. So we went through this. But what I came to the conclusion is that this was a trick of language. Like if we were speaking German and there was one of those long words in German that meant learning for the sake of creating, for the sake of learning, for the sake of creating, then that word would be my ultimate value. It's kind of like if you were looking at teal, which is kind of equally green and blue, and somebody said, no, what's your favorite color? Is it green or is it blue? And you could say, no, teal. Teal's my favorite. You know, so learning and creating to me are kind of two halves of the same thing. I think of those two, like learning and creating is kind of a cycle. You know, I like to learn things for the sake of creating. I don't like to just learn for the sake of learning. And I like to create things that are a learning process in creating them. Do you know what I mean? Totally. But now you, you've evaded the question. Oh, okay, I'm getting to that. I just wanted to give okay. a little context. So... Um, <laughs> So I'm not a, so I don't know, my, my daily life is not interesting at all. It's the reason I don't have an Instagram. <laughs> it's just, you'd see nothing but me just typing all day. So uh, 
I wake at 5 a.m. and I tend to just type all day long, taking maybe one break to go running or on a little bike ride or work out for a little bit. And I stop to play with my kid and otherwise I just keep typing until I drop at night at 11 p.m. at night. I sleep for five or six hours and I do it again. So I'm basically typing most hours I'm awake, whether that is answering emails or programming or writing in my journal or writing my book or whatever it may be, I'm usually typing. So I tend to focus on one thing at a time. I don't do very well with this idea of a schedule where you wake up and you do an hour of this and an hour of that. You're switching all the time. I really, I tend to get into one thing at a time for months at a time, sometimes even years at a time. I will just do one thing until it feels complete. So yeah, that's, that's my day. Well, that's not, I don't think that's boring at all. I think it, I think it's fascinating. I just have this image of you hunched over, or maybe you're sitting up straight. No, I have good posture. Um, and, uh, <laughs> don't worry. And one of your things you are doing is answering email. So I, I just have to ask you that before we go on. Why, and maybe even how, do you answer so many of your emails? There's some number Oof. on your website, like you've answered 90,000 in the past X number of years. Yeah. And we are actually speaking during one of my most intense weeks ever of this in my life. One week ago today, I sent out an email to my mailing list of uh, whatever, 50,000 something people saying, how are you? Are you okay? Because of all this stuff. And so far, 6,800 people have replied. And I'm answering every single one of those replies. So the only way to do it is I get up at 5 a.m. and I plow through them as quickly as possible. And I do that until midnight when I sleep for five hours and do it some more. Uh, and that's what I've been doing for the last seven days. So I actually just took a little break from answering emails to do this call. Um, oh, but you asked why. Um, because I think it matters. Uh, I think it it's important to people. I think that people are in disbelief that there's a real person on the other end. I think people have gotten so cynical with automation and corporateness or whatever you want to call it, that they're they're thinking that they're just talking into the void. Um, And so I like to show that I'm a real person. And it's also where I get a lot of my ideas. Uh, It's also where I've made some of my best friends are people who have emailed me out of the blue after listening to a podcast or something like that, I get an introduction from somebody who just, you know, sat and listened to me speak for 90 minutes on a podcast. And they send me an email afterwards saying, hey, my name is whatever. And I live here. And that was a really cool interview. And this is me. And this is what I'm doing. And I have a question for you. And it just begins a dialogue that sometimes, you know, we'll go back and forth by email a few times until I say, you know what, you're you're a really cool person. What's your phone number? Let's talk. <laughs> we talk on the phone a few times and then we say, you know, next time you're passing through, let's meet up. And then we meet up and like, wow, you're even cooler in person. So honestly, right now, a lot of my best friends are people that sent me an anonymous, not anonymous, who, who, who sent an email to a stranger years ago and vice versa. A couple other of my friends are people whose writing I loved so much that I sent them an email out of the blue saying, that was a brilliant article. I, you know, I ended up reading some of your articles. I really like the way you write and we should talk. And they say, oh, wow, cool, man, let's talk. And so, yeah, I think two or three of my friends now are people that 
were just anonymous internet strangers whose writing I admired. And so I reached out and, and uh, we met because of that. And in fact, two of the great loves of my life <laughs> were people that reached out in that same way and then turned into a romance. And then, to, you know, it's like, so, you know, that in itself would be a reason to keep that channel open. But yeah, in a case like this, where it's like a lot of people are really scared because of the Corona thing. And I think, you know, reaching out to everybody on my list was just really, really heartwarming. And it's really nice to connect, especially with people that have just been sitting silently on my mailing list for 10 years. And for the first time ever are, are replying to one of my emails now because I asked. So, um, yeah, I love it. It's, it's exhausting, but it's worth it. There's something, I'm trying to put this into words, uh, something completely counterintuitive about your using the internet for connection and learning and your single-minded focus on the various projects you have going, like writing your book. Hmm. And maybe I'll... I'm not going to ask that as a question because I don't really know what the answer is. Is there just something that strikes me? What's the word? Well, I'm saying counterintuitive, but there's another word there. Um, weird. Weird. Well, okay, weird. Uh, well, yeah. I'm definitely well, so weird. I think it's just, a, you know, we all have, we all have tendencies. Like who knows why? Nature versus nurture. Who knows if it's in our DNA or whatever. But just we all have tendencies. So for whatever reason, I've always had a tendency to throw myself completely into one thing at a time. And I've been like that since I was a kid. So I think I've just stopped fighting it and I'm just, you know, going with it. Let's dive into what you and I decided was the topic for our conversation, because I think there's just so much in it. And I can continue asking you other questions. And that is um, this idea of slow thinking and related slow living. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that in terms of your own philosophy, but also your lived experience. Sure. So, you know that feeling when you have a confrontation with somebody and then like an hour later or a day later, you come up with that perfect thing that you should have said. Do you know that feeling? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But you go like, it's good. The day later, you're like, oh, you know what I should have told to that guy? Well, so I feel like that a lot in life. Like, I feel like in the moment, I'm pretty inarticulate or just not that interesting. Like, I don't have brilliant ideas that snap to mind at the top of my mind, but I get them later. So I think for years, I would just pressure myself to say something anyway. You know, somebody asks you a question, you're just supposed to say something. But I think after years of realizing this, I just decided I don't need to say anything. Just because somebody's asking you a question doesn't mean you need to answer. So often now when people are trying to debate me on something and they say, oh, yeah, well, what about this? And I'll say, huh, I don't know. I'll think about that. And they'll say, well, what do you think about that? I'm like, I don't know yet. <laughs> I don't know what I think about that. I'll think about that. I think it's just, to me, it's just admitting that at least for me, these things take time. But I think this is a side effect of being a writer. Like as a writer, it's better for me to have a brilliant idea later instead of an average one now. But if I was a debater or like an improvisational comedian, or a radio host or something like that, well, then I'd have to get better at being a fast thinker. So in that case, I would probably find a way to practice 
doing that. Like I'd say, okay, this is important. This is something I need to get better at. Find a way to get to that more interesting thought more quickly. But yeah, luckily I don't, I don't have to. But I did just admit to myself finally that I don't have to come up with an average half-ass answer on the fly. It's better for me to just say, I don't know, and come up with one later. Derek, you know, in um, business meetings, many of which are being done online now, or I'm on a board, for example, we had a phone call in. I've noticed that the person who speaks the least often has the most power (laughs) or comes across as holding their fire because they're only going to deliver it once or something. So I don't think you should change what you're doing. I think it's it's working. You know, it's funny though. So I've been talking about this publicly for a bit and I got an email about a month ago from a guy in India who said, Hey, I read your article, but I'm in sales. And if I'm doing corporate sales and I'm actually selling software to businesses, when they ask me a question about the software, I have to give them a quick answer in the moment. I can't say, I don't know. I would lose the sale. And I said, I disagree. I think it would be more impressive to the customer if they ask you a question about the software and you don't know, well, instead of, you know, faking it, spouting some nonsense, just show that you're taking their question seriously and say, hmm, that's a really good question. Pull out a pen, write it down, (laughs) whatever you need to do. Say, I'm going to find out the real answer for you. And then go find out the real answer that evening when you return to the office and then get back to them the next day when you've got the real answer. I think that would be more impressive to a customer than you spouting nonsense in the moment, don't you think? Absolutely. And I, I mean, the obvious question is here is, for those listening, how do you cultivate slow thinking, particularly in the times we're in right now, but even if we weren't in this pandemic? Because um, that sure does not seem to be what most people are doing as they post their latest thought or article they've read to right. Facebook. Ah, Debbie, I have so much to say about this. Okay, because of what you just said, right? Like the news is changing between the morning and the evening. Everything's completely changed, right? Like the news is freaking out and what was true yesterday is false today and vice versa. Then isn't that a perfect reason why we shouldn't follow it do you know what i mean like if what was true yesterday is false today well then that's just a perfect in your face reason to just kind of bow out and just say okay wait let's step back (laughs) i'm going to i'm going to ignore this and just you know give me the weekly update because clearly everything's changing every day so how about i not spend my time paying attention to the the uh, flutter You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think it's an, I mean, I think I know it's an anxiety response, sort of filling Mm. the air. And so I think your example and your thinking about it are are helpful. Well, Um, this came up, okay, when I, you'll probably mention this in the intro or something, but I was hit with a weird situation at the age of, what, 38, when I sold my company, CD Baby, I thought I was going to do CD Baby for the rest of my life. I never intended to be one of those entrepreneurs that exits. I just, I thought this was the thing I was going to do for the rest of my life. But then I just kind of hit a certain time, a reinvention time or something that, you know, I know is a pet subject for you. Like I had my reinvention time there at the age of 38, where suddenly this thing I had been doing for 10 straight years had grown kind of toxic for me. 
And so for personal reasons, it just felt like, I think I need to stop doing this. And just as I was thinking that, I had three different companies offered to buy my company. So I had them bid against each other and sold the company for a ridiculous amount of money that I would never be able to spend in a lifetime. And so I had to learn about investing for the first time. I had never invested in my life. I'd never done anything in the stock market. But suddenly it's like, oh my God, I'm going to have this money that I need to look after for future generations. I need to learn about investing. And so one of the key things I learned about investing from reading the wisest books that the wisest people said I should read was that the daily stock market is something that you should ignore. And in fact, you should probably ignore the weekly and the monthly too, that the wisest investors are the ones that don't look at the daily ups and downs. And they did a, one guy, one author made a metaphor of, imagine that somebody is walking across town, walking their dog across town, and they're walking in a northeast direction at approximately four miles per hour. But the dog is darting left and right and sniffing fire hydrants and pulling forward and then pulling back and, you know. And if you watch the dog, you'd say, oh, oh, oh no, they're going east. Oh, hold on, they're going south. No, wait, I take it back. They're going <laughs> but the truth is you're watching the dog instead of watching the bigger picture, which is like, no, they're heading northeast at about four miles an hour. And that's what's going on. So the people who watch the stock market every single day are watching the dog and getting all kinds of misinformation and all kinds of nonsense that isn't even true. Or if you just slow down, zoom out, then you can see what's really happening. So I loved that metaphor for the stock market. And then I heard that, I believe it was Fidelity, the investment company in America, they once, uh, a few years back, decided to do an analysis to find out what common thread their best performing um, customers like, had in common. So they contacted their customers that had the best performing portfolios and asked them, and just kind of got to know them, asked them some questions. And guess what they found the best performing customers had in common? Do you want to guess first? Oh, well, I think I know. They traded uh, less frequently. It was so less frequently that the best performing customers were the ones that forgot they had a Fidelity account. <laughs> it had just been sitting there untouched for decades. Those, those customers outperformed the ones that were trading every day and every week or every month. And I just, I love those two examples. I mean, so you combine the dog metaphor with that fact, and then you combine that with the daily news and to me, these are all just the same bit of wisdom. It's just, you just ignore the daily stuff and you just look at the big picture, which is slower by definition. Huh. I, I actually had a, or still have it, an IRA with a Fidelity something fund, and I mm -hmm. completely forgot about it <laughs> for, I don't Good know, job. 10 years. And then somehow I remembered and found it. And all I can say is, you're right on. I thought, wow, <laughs> this is great. This is great. And I'm still not touching it, but anyway. Nice. Um, well, I have this image of you sitting up straight, not hunched over your uh, broken old, is it Linux or Linux laptop? Linux, uh-huh. Yeah, it's a, it's a seven-year-old Linux laptop. And I'm thinking, what is that about? But So that's one question, because gosh, doesn't he want the latest Mac? Um, and then oh, come on. <laughs> the, uh, well, the other piece of the, so then, and you're obviously focused and you're busy 
typing. But uh, another thing you said and something you sent me was deliberate daydreaming is my favorite pastime. Mm. And you mentioned asking big questions and even, you know, thinking about what were your top three best times or most favorite moments. And so how, how are you fitting that in right now when you're typing all day long? Right now I'm not. And th this is what I meant when you asked that first question about like, you know, a day in the life is that, um, like, for example, I was working only on my next book uh, all the way up until Christmas. But then my uh, assistant reminded me that there were some programming projects that she was really waiting to be done. And it was really holding back her work because I needed to finish those programming projects. So then Christmas for the next like eight weeks, I did not, I paused the book and I did nothing but programming for the eight weeks. So I just kind of like got myself out of author head and into programmer head. And I just like dove into my programming code for eight weeks. And then, you know, this thing happened and I sent out an email to all my clients. So right now I'm just doing nothing but emailing um, this past seven days. And hopefully I'll be done with it in a couple of days and then I'll get back to my book again. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not a, uh, well-balanced guy <laughs> never never aimed to be but uh those when you zoom out and you look at the things i've done they've usually been done in bursts mm. well you're not convincing me because it sounds to me like you're very intentional um oh, no. mm -hmm. how do you mean i mean I, well intentional in terms of choosing choosing you know sifting through the options and choosing what you're going to focus on and that was another phrase that i Oh, it picked okay. up in one of the blog posts you sent me. It says, infinite options are overwhelming. And then you go on. Now I forget exactly what you said after that. But uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I do. Um, I mean, don't we all kind of, you, you pick a project based on, I mean, it's usually a combination of things, isn't it? Like what you decide is worth your attention. I mean, even you doing your second season here of the, the Gap Year for Grownups, you, it's probably a combination of something that you feel is a personal need or personal curiosity, something you felt like doing, but you also felt that the world needs this and it suited your lifestyle now. Like this isn't a major annoyance for you to be doing this. You're enjoying it. And so it's like this combination of something that makes you happy, that interests you, that's good for others, that others are finding useful and giving you good feedback. And yeah, I think we all weigh those kind of factors when choosing what to spend our time on. Do you think we need to go through that exercise that the coach took you through? Because I love what you said about the podcast. Do I need to be asking myself, why am I doing this podcast? Because it is all of those things you said, and mm. maybe more. Is that something we should do, be doing as kind of an exercise? Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? I, could, I would have to go back to my notes. I, could, I think he had it. I think I'm getting the question wrong. I should write about that. I'm going to have to like go back to my coaching notes um, from, God, hold on. I just had my own curiosity. What year must that have been? I remember where I was. So I think that was 2005 or six. Wow. That was like 15 years ago. Um, I'd have to go back and find what was that question he was asking me because it felt kind of profound, but the, the version I told you just now felt like it was, it was off a bit. So sorry, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to help. No, that's all right. Just no, I just sort of meant the general idea of, pausing which is slowing down to reflect on how you're spending your time um, oh yeah oh that's just it's it's a wonderful thing to constantly ask yourself wait a minute why am i doing this like to challenge yourself like even as i'm sitting here answering 
all of these emails. They, I mean, I got to admit, when I got way more replies than I expected. So it's like 6,800 emails come in and I just look at that with a dropped jaw, like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, I've handled an incoming womp of like 400 emails before, but 6,800, I've never done this in my life. So I was like, what do I do? Should I just send like an automated reply? Like I could just I was write gonna ask script. you. Sorry, I was going to ask you. Did you have an automated cut and copy paste? Uh, no. Well, I did. I so I I thought about just sending out every single one of those just in my database, just kind of going like, Brr, "Thank you for your reply. I got it. I'm sorry. There's no way I'm going to be able to reply to your reply. I just oh. want you to know I got your email." I thought about that, but then I started reading them, and you know, I was asking people going through this as you said, pandemic, um, I was asking, how are you? And it's like 90% are saying, hey, all's well, thanks for asking. But like 10% are saying, I'm screwed. My life is trash. Like, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to pay next month's rent. And my mom is sick and I'm not allowed to see her. And it's like, it's really bad for some people. And for me to, you know, say, hey, everybody, thanks for the reply. <laughs> <laughs> like, God, that would be so heartless. So, so I looked at the situation and yeah, what I did end up doing is uh, not form letters, but I guess you could say form sentences. I, I ended up writing some macros that I assigned to like the 26 letters on my keyboard, like 26 sentences that I found myself typing very often. And so I assigned them kind of letter strokes. So I'm able to answer each email, to read it and answer it in about, you know, five to 10 seconds each. And I've been going through the 6,800 at that pace um, using that's, macros to help me type out sentences. Uh, that's perfect. I mean, that's how Derek's Sivers would do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just perfect. And I like wanna, use my last name to refer to the, uh, you know, the, the pedestal. <laughs> but the, um, another one of the links you sent me talked about making things simpler and how you saw some mess of code about something and it annoyed you so much that you figured out how to do that same thing in just a couple lines right yeah so i thought that this is this is perfect um i um i still think there's there's just this contradiction in terms of you being there in your little house in oxford and maintaining quiet maintaining sort of control of your schedule and then that whole world out there but that you are in fact connecting with but but, but again it seems um, sounds like it's on your own terms so i guess that's okay i don't know why it just keeps coming to me is and no you know wow. it's funny i i actually i i don't think i sent you this link but i know the short url that if any of your listeners are um interested go to sivers.org slash s-o-s-o which stands for solitary socialite <laughs> and it's it's something that I realized I've actually been doing this for many years, which is to sit alone in my little house in nature, uh, connecting with thousands of people per week. And I've been doing this for many, many, many years. And uh, it came upon me so slowly that I didn't realize how strange it is until like friends would ask me, like I'd, I'd be in my room, like emailing with people all day long, like I'm doing right now, right? Like, like kind of mass socializing, like, oh my God, Debbie, I'm looking at like, 
hundreds and hundreds of emails every day with people telling me about their life. And it's like, I'm, I'm empathetic. I'm connecting with every single one of them. At the end of the day, I'm like as exhausted as if you had been at like a cocktail party for 16 hours straight, right? You know, and, but then I've actually just been sitting alone all day. So somebody will say, hey man, you've been alone all day. Want to hang out? <laughs> I'm like, I, I can't, I'm exhausted. I, I've just been too, so I need some me time. And they're like, but you've been, you've been alone all day. And I'm like, yeah, but I've been social all day. It's hard to explain, you know. So I know it's it's strange, but it's um I used to think it was just a new internet thing, but then I realized that before this, I'm sure there were like people that worked for the Beatles answering all of their fan mail, you know, and that person was just sitting there in solitude answering all these paper letters. And before that, you know, there are plenty of people who um would sit on the phone all day. They were like in the business, maybe it's a, a booking agent or something like that, that might be sitting in their office all day long, alone, speaking with like 100 people a day on the phone. You know, so it, we've always had versions of this. Maybe they've always been like fueled by technology. Uh, so maybe it's only been 100 years or something. But I think there have been versions of this for a long time. But this is our current one. Well, you're certainly living a version of, maybe even a version to emulate of social distancing. Um, yes, yeah. it, it could. Yeah. It's instructive, I think. Gosh, I feel like I could listen to you talk for at least a whole another hour. But I know you need to get back to your email. So let me. I'm looking at our list of questions. Well, this is a good one because you are. Are you 51? Is that right? Uh, soon, I'm still 50. You're still 50. So I, don't, I didn't know what month you were born in. Um, so you're almost in midlife, or maybe let's just say you are. So the audience, uh, those listening, are probably mostly midlife and older and that's who the, mm -hmm. this podcast is directed at so what are your tips for them is in relation to and let, let's call it slow living because mm -hmm. people are interested in changing and reinventing just so many things about the way they're living getting off the corporate treadmill etc 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 so for that particular audience and by the way, they may not be terribly techie savvy. Some are, but many are not. Any tips that come to mind? Well, it's funny. So you and I are talking on March 25th. So who knows when the, somebody listening to this, I don't know what day it is when you're listening, but here on March 25th, it's, we're kind of a week or so into this kind of worldwide lockdown. So, you know, you talk about reinvention, um, slowing down well that's one way to do it is to be forced into this lockdown saying nope all businesses are shut everything's closed everybody just stay home everything's just going to freeze um, um but it's funny i heard from so many people in these emails that i'm talking about that were fired laid off <gasps> shut down and i felt so bad for them and so for every one of these emails i got i would just reply back on god i'm, I'm sorry that's horrible and the timing of this and it's terrible and I'm really sorry and my heart goes out to you and let me know if I can help and what's interesting is that as they started replying back to my replies most people said that they were actually due for a change anyway oh. that they were in a rut and that they uh, they can now make the best of this unfortunate situation to push them into making a change and I realized yeah you know most of us don't change until we have to. Like, usually something has to push us, even if it's just, you know, you see yourself in the mirror and you're disgusted at what you see and that's the, uh, 
<laughs> that's the the push that it took. But um, you know, most of us, we need some kind of push. I mean, don't we all have friends who stayed in a job way too long and really should have quit, but they never did. And then one day they were finally fired and they went, yeah, I, I probably should have quit years ago. Now, now it's time for me to make the change. But yeah, most people don't. Most people don't quit. They need to get fired. So yeah, that's my thought on what's going on now is I think this is going to be a great catalyst for a lot of personal reinvention. Oh, gosh. I hope that is one of the outcomes. It, I, I agree with you. It's scary. It's a scary kind of reinventing. <laughs> yeah. um, and well, most, I mean, most, I mean, yeah, getting fired in itself on its own is pretty scary. You know, something you're called into an office and told sorry. And you go, ah, oh, God. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, yeah, I think change is usually not comfortable. But, um, yeah, this whole thing is scary. But um, on the other hand, aren't we in good company? Like, years from now, everybody will be saying, well, you know, it was 2020, so that's when I decided to take up the new career. That's when I decided to, you know, it's like the whole world's changing right now. So we're in good company. Derek, I think we should end on that high note. (laughs) Thanks, Debbie. Thank you so very, very much. This is just wonderful. That's a wrap for this episode of Gap Year for Grownups. If you're feeling inspired, you can leave a review on iTunes. It really means a lot. And if you've got ideas for future shows or topics, you can email me at thegapyearpodcast at gmail.com. And remember, however you want to reimagine your life, now is the moment. Don't wait. This is Debbie, your host. Till next time.